where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the challenges of today. Well, we've been talking recently on the topic of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and who owns the land, who has rightful claim to the land, and what are some possible solutions that could help resolve the conflict between the Jews and the Palestinians today. Well, we went over briefly in December of 2016, the United Nations Security Council passed a resolution condemning the Israeli settlements on the West Bank. This decision was supported by the former Obama administration, but has been criticized by the British Prime Minister and the new Trump administration. So we discussed a little as to what this resolution was all about and that the previous administration stood behind the United Nations and abandoned Israel and left her all alone to defend herself this time. Why is it important? What is the importance of our relationship with Israel? And why is that important? Well, we discussed a little bit of the territory that the United Nations and Israel, the former United States administration, wanted Israel to give up, and that is the development of the West Bank. And they wanted Israel to go back to the 1967 borders before the Six-Day War. So we discussed what is meant by the 1967 borders, and basically that is surrendering all the land that was captured in the Six-Day War and going back to the borders preceding the Six-Day War, giving up the Golan Heights, giving up East Jerusalem and the Gaza Strip, strategic areas Israel says they need to defend themselves. And many kept proposing what they say is a two-state solution, where we have an independent Palestine and an independent Israel living side by side. And we discussed why that was not possible. Basically, you have one side saying that the Jews do not have the right to exist. And so when you have one side that is not acknowledging the right of the other to even exist, then a two-state solution would not be possible. We have seen that the Palestinians do not want a two-state solution. They want a one-state solution. They want Israel to be pushed out into the Mediterranean. They don't seek a compromise. They seek the complete destruction of the nation of Israel, along with the supporting Arab countries around them. So with the Palestinians holding to that kind of attitude, it's not possible for a peaceful two-state solution, although that's ideal if you study the situation when one side is not willing to acknowledge the right for Israel to exist, it's really not possible to have a peaceful two-state solution. And instead, we have a lot of radical leaders, such as leaders of Hamas in the Palestinian government, and Palestine has not acknowledged the right of Israel to exist. They do not seem to be speaking out against the radical groups like Hamas, nor do they show the ability to control or resist these groups. In fact, they seem to be encouraging them. And so with that, a two-state solution is not possible. So now we come to the issue of today. If a two-state solution will not work at this time, is there any alternative solution? Well, this is not ideal, but perhaps this is the only one that has been proposed that may work. And that is an autonomous Palestinian state under the sovereignty of Israel. Perhaps that would be a possible solution. So the Palestinians would have some independence and be able to govern and police themselves. However, they would not be allowed to have any kind of military. 
So that solution would be an independent, autonomous Palestinian state under the sovereign control of Israel. And this is not foreign to the Palestinians, for they were under the rule of the Ottoman Turks for 400 years before the British took over in World War I. So this wouldn't be foreign to the Palestinians. This is a possible solution. It's not ideal. Would the Palestinians go for it? I really don't think so. But at this time, this seems to be the most reasonable solution here that I have read of, of the many solutions that have been proposed. A two-state solution would be ideal with the fact that the Palestinians do not acknowledge and in fact even seek the destruction of Israel. It appears that this might be the next best solution here, an autonomous Palestinian state under the sovereignty of Israel. Now, many of us understand why Jerusalem, that city is so critical to the Jews. It's their ancient capital there. there, and It was the capital of their ancestral homeland. Well, recently there have been talks of moving the capital of Israel to Jerusalem. And there have been talks of moving the United States Embassy to Jerusalem as well. Well, we understand why Jerusalem is important to the Jews, but what is the significance of Jerusalem to the Muslim world? Well, Jerusalem itself is an important city because all three religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, believe that is where Abraham was told to sacrifice his son Isaac there on the Temple Mount, once known as Mount Moriah. And for the Muslims, Jerusalem is the third most significant site in Islam. This is believed to be not only the place where Abraham was told to sacrifice his son, but this is the place believed to be where Muhammad made his midnight journey to heaven on the back of a donkey and landed there at the Dome of the Rock. So there in Jerusalem sits the third most holiest site in Islam, the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock. And so the Palestinians want their capital to be in Jerusalem, and so do the Jews. Now, there is a lot of historical evidence that indeed the Jerusalem Temple once stood there on the site where presently the Dome of the Rock is. Is there any evidence for Muhammad's midnight journey on the back of a donkey? Unfortunately for the Muslims, there's really no evidence that that journey ever took place. In fact, Abdullah Yusuf Ali, the great Muslim scholar who translated the Quran into English, whose translation of the Quran is considered the most authoritative in English, even writes in his commentary that perhaps this was not a physical journey. It was a vision that Muhammad had while he slept. His wife Aisha states that he was in bed when this midnight journey occurred, so that it was a vision that Muhammad had. But that is the importance of Jerusalem to the Muslim world. Well, that's a little bit of the present-day conflict as to what's going on there in the land of Israel and Palestine. And now we come down to the million-dollar question, right? Who has the rightful claim to the land of Palestine? Well, I might get stoned here and from both sides. I think both the Jews and the Palestinians have rightful claim to the land. The Jewish people have rightful claim to the land as their ancestral homeland. They have a historical claim to that. The Jews were in the land since it was conquered by Joshua in the 14th century BC, and the Jews were there for 2,000 years before the Arab nations arrived. They remained there until about 70 AD when they were conquered and exiled by the Romans, when General Titus came with his armies and destroyed Jerusalem and sent the Jews into exile throughout the world. And Jews were in exile for nearly 2,000 years, or until their miraculous return in 1948. We also have a legal declaration by the nations of the world, the Balfour Declaration, given in 1917, 
which guaranteed the Jews a homeland in Palestine. And that was signed by the Western powers, giving the Jews the right to a homeland there in Palestine. However, after the Balfour Declaration, the Arab nations revolted against the Western powers. It was the Arab nations that teamed up with the Western allies and fought to help defeat the Ottoman Turks and the Arab nations there under the leadership of Lawrence of Arabia joined with the Western forces to repel and defeat the Ottoman Turks and the Ottoman Empire. They were guaranteed territory, but unfortunately the Western powers had already carved up the Middle East and the Jews were promised the homeland there in Palestine. And when the Arab nations revolted and said, we're going to go to war if you allow this, that is when the Western powers shut off the immigration of the Jews back to their homeland and turned many back out into the sea and many Jews there died there in the Mediterranean. Also, you know, there's a need for a homeland for the Jewish people, especially after World War II and the atrocities that were committed against the Jewish people. There was a need for a safe homeland for the Jews. And if you look at the Bible, the Abrahamic covenant of Genesis chapter 12, that's the land is promised to Abraham and his descendants forever. If you read chapter 13, verse 15, and chapter 17, the boundaries of the land are given. And the land was promised to Abraham and his descendants forever. So Jerusalem and the land of Israel has historically been sacred for the Jews, and they have rightful claim to that land as their ancestral homeland. Now the Palestinians also have claim to that land. They have a long residency in the land. Palestine was conquered by the second caliph of Islam, Umar, in 638 AD, and the Arab groups have lived there ever since. Now, the Palestinians also have a legal document with them as well, the British-McMahon-Hussein Agreement during World War I. It assured the Arabs that the Levant territories would be an Arab state. That is the lands of Cyprus, Egypt, Iraq, Israel, Jordan, Lebanon, Palestine, Syria, and Turkey. And also the Palestinians also need a safe haven for their residents to settle. When Israel became a nation, there was a great Palestinian displacement that occurred in 1948 where hundreds of thousands of Palestinians were displaced from their homes and forced to live in ghetto conditions. One of the reasons is that the neighboring Arab states surrounding Palestine did not allow the migration of the Palestinians into their territory there. And so many were forced to live in ghetto conditions and remain there till this day. Now, the Arabs also appeal to Abraham. According to Muslim belief, they claim to be the descendants of Abraham's oldest son, Ishmael. And so the land promise, they believe, goes to the descendants of Ishmael, who they claim they are, not the Jews, who are the sons of Abraham's second son, actually, Isaac. But according to the Old Testament, the promise of the land goes through Isaac and not Ishmael. But in Muslim belief, the promise goes through Ishmael, and that land, therefore, then belongs to the Arabs. So Jerusalem is the third most holy site there, where it is believed Muhammad took the midnight journey to heaven on the back of a donkey. And the third most holy Muslim mosques are there. So I believe the Palestinians also have a right to that land. So as I stated the other day, a two-state solution would be ideal, but since the Palestinians refuse to acknowledge the right for Israel to exist and seek the destruction of the nation of Israel, 
two-state solution doesn't seem possible. It seems perhaps the next best solution would be an independent Palestinian state under the sovereign control of Israel. Now, the next question people ask is why are the Middle Eastern Muslim nations so hostile to the nation of Israel? Why do they not acknowledge the right for Israel to exist? Well, animosity between Muslims and Jews goes back all the way to the day of the founder of Islam, Muhammad. When Muhammad first began preaching there in the city of Medina in Saudi Arabia, he sought the affirmation of the Jews and the Christians. He wanted to convince them that he was another prophet or an apostle. But Muhammad was rejected by the Christians and Jews for several reasons. The Jews believed that prophets were confirmed by miracles, which they asked Muhammad to perform, but he could not perform any. In the Quran, repeatedly he's asked to perform a miracle, and he simply says to look at the Quran. Second, Muhammad displayed a distorted view and knowledge of the Old Testament. He created Islam from various sources of the animistic religion there in Saudi Arabia, along with Zoroastrianism, Gnostic Christianity, folk Judaism, and parts of the Old and New Testament there, which he combined to form Islam. But there are many distorted stories regarding biblical characters there. For example, Muhammad taught Adam and Eve sinned in paradise and were then cast to the earth in chapter 7 of the Quran. In chapter 28 of the Quran, Muhammad taught Haman the Persian in the book of Esther was an associate of Pharaoh in the days of Moses, an error of almost a thousand years. Muhammad confused King Saul and Gideon, teaching Saul chose 300 warriors from the 10,000 by observing how they drank water in chapter 2 of the Quran, getting those stories mixed up. Muhammad taught a Jewish legend that at Mount Sinai, the Jews did not accept the Ten Commandments, so God coerced them by lifting up Mount Sinai and held it in the sky above them, threatening the Jews to accept the law or be crushed. In chapter 20 of the Quran, Muhammad writes that it is the Samaritans who tricked Moses during the days of the Exodus, but the Samaritans didn't exist till about a thousand years later. So the Jews, seeing Muhammad's erroneous teachings, rejected him as a prophet. And the Hadith records the Jews taunted and criticized Muhammad on intellectual grounds. So Muhammad thus chose to exterminate the Jews for they recognized his erroneous teachings. About a year and a half after he fled to the city of Medina, after the Jews had rejected him, he turned the direction of prayer to Mecca, the center of pagan worship in the Arabian Peninsula, from Jerusalem to the Arabian Peninsula there in chapter 2 of the Quran. Now the final blow against the Jews came in the spring of 627 AD. Muhammad had fought several battles between Mecca and his armies because he made a living attacking the trade caravans that were going to Mecca. And so the Meccan army came in a series of battles and fought against Muhammad. Some he won, some he lost. Now the army of Mecca came in 627 AD and lay siege to Muhammad's army there at Medina. But the Meccan army was unable to capture Medina and Muhammad and eventually withdrew. Now, the way Muhammad was able to take a stand is he dug a huge trench around Medina. And so this battle is also known as the Battle of the Trench, and the Meccan army was not able to capture Medina. But after the retreat of the Meccan army, Muhammad sought to deal with the Jews of Medina, who he believed had plotted against him. And Ibn Ishaq, this is the oldest and most authoritative biography of Muhammad, records that Muhammad marched the Jewish men out of the city to the trench and beheaded 700 Jewish men and sold the women and children off into slavery. 
And since then, there are many chapters in the Quran telling Muslims how to deal with the Jewish people. In chapter 9 of the Quran, it states, Fight those who believe not in Allah, nor the last day, nor hold that forbidden which has been forbidden by Allah and His Apostle, nor acknowledge the religion of truth, even if they are people of the book, that's the Jews, until they pay the jizya, the heavy unbelievers tax, with willing submission and feel themselves subdued. That's chapter 9 of the Quran, the Surah of the Sword, it is called. Chapter 5 of the Quran states, Say, O followers of the book, that's the Jews, do you find fault with us? Except that we believe in Allah and in what has been revealed to us and what, has, what was revealed before, and that most of you are transgressors. Say, shall I inform you? Him who is worse than this is in retribution from Allah. Worse is he whom Allah has cursed and brought his wrath upon, and of whom he made apes and swine, and he who serve Satan. Those are worse in place and more erring from the straight path. So here in chapter 5 of the Quran, it states that the Jews were cursed and turned into apes and swine. So you can see that the hostilities between the Jews and the Muslim world go all the way back to the founder of Islam, Muhammad. And it is reflected in things. As I went over, the Khartoum Resolution passed in 1967, the famous three-no resolution. No peace with Israel, no recognition of Israel, no negotiations with Israel. Now, the U.S. has been a longtime ally of Israel. And the question is, why is our alliance with Israel so important? Well, there's several reasons for that. I mean, first, there are strategic reasons. Israel is at the tip of the spear in the fight against terrorism. Israel continues to help the United States deal with traditional security threats. We share a lot of intelligence with Israel on terrorism, especially those groups there in the Middle East, on nuclear proliferation and Middle Eastern politics. Israel's military experience have shaped the United States' approach to counterterrorism and homeland security because they face it every day directly there in the nation of Israel. So the two governments work together to develop sophisticated military technology in their battle against terrorism. And Israel has helped us prevent further proliferation of weapons of mass destruction in the region by thwarting nations such as Iraq and Syria's nuclear program. And Israel is the only true democracy there in the Middle East. Many of our alliances there in the Middle Eastern nations are, are quite shaky and can turn on a dime. Often the relationship is built on the principle of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I remember receiving a phone call. The man criticized my position, said, we have plenty of Middle Eastern allies. And I said, well, Israel is the only one that has been our true ally from the beginning, and they've been a consistent ally. The other alliances we have with Middle Eastern nations can turn on a dime. For example, Iran. Iran was our ally. And then overnight, the Shah was overthrown, the revolution took place, and our embassy and its personnel was captured, and Iran has been one of our greatest foes ever since. Egypt, you might say, is one of our allies, but just a few years ago when the Muslim Brotherhood took over the government, things got very shaky there. We know that a lot of the terrorists from 9-11 came from Saudi Arabia, one of our allies, and so we need to be very careful with our alliances there in the Middle East. But with Israel, we have always had a true ally since their creation there in 1948. So being the only democracy, the true democracy there in the Middle East, there's also good political reasons to be allied with Israel. 
And then there are biblical reasons why it's important for the United States to remain close allies with Israel. Genesis 12 is the Abrahamic covenant, which still applies to this day, where God said, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So it is through the nation of Israel that God's redemption plan shall come to the entire earth. And if you look biblically and historically throughout time, those nations who have blessed Israel were in turn blessed by God. Those who stood against Israel were eventually judged by God. And for those reasons, I believe that's why America has been blessed. We are one of the few nations that stand behind Israel and bless Israel. And I believe that is why God has blessed the United States. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8 states, For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, O Israel. For he who touches you, O Israel, touches the apple of his eye. So they still continue to be the nation through which the Messiah has come and will come. And it's from Jerusalem that the Messiah will rule. So God's redemption plan for the world still will come through the nation of Israel. So history has shown those who have blessed Israel have been blessed. Those who have sought the destruction of Israel, in turn, received judgment upon themselves. So for those reasons, I believe it's very critical that the United States still stand behind their old ally, Israel. Well, what can we expect in days to come for the nation of Israel and this Israeli-Palestinian conflict? Well, between Israel and the United States, I believe that the new Trump administration has vowed to stand behind the nation of Israel and that Theresa May, the recent Prime Minister of Great Britain, has also strongly supported the nation of Israel. So between the British and the U.S., it looks like there'll be better days ahead for the nation of Israel as these countries have vowed to take a stronger stand behind the nation of Israel. So for the reasons I stated, the political reasons, strategic, as well as the biblical reasons, I believe it's important for the United States and Western powers to stand behind the nation of Israel. And so perhaps there's better days for relations between the United States and Israel in the years to come. Well, what about internationally in regards to the nation of Israel? What can we look forward to in the days ahead? Well, I do not believe that there will be peace in the land of Israel, not until the Messiah comes and brings his everlasting rule and his kingdom. But until then, I believe that the nations that surround Israel, unless there's a great spiritual awakening that occurs and Christianity comes to dominate the Middle East, I don't think there'll be peace for the nation of Israel until the Lord returns. And as we get closer to the return of Jesus Christ, because God's redemption plan for the world centers on the nation of Israel, I believe the attacks of Satan will increase. And I think there'll be more hostility towards the nation of Israel. For if Satan can destroy the nation of Israel and the Jewish people, then he will thwart God's plan for the redemption of the world. Now, having said all that, what should the United States and other powers do deal with the nation of Israel. I believe we should support the nation of Israel, but that doesn't mean every single thing Israel does is right and we should support them in whatever they do. We need to stand behind Israel. They have a right to exist. They have a right to defend themselves and fight against terrorism. 
However, if Israel does things that are not right, I mean, if they are aggressively seeking to increase their territory or with unjustified attacks against the Palestinians, then, you know, we need to rebuke that nation in that kind of activity. But when it comes to defending themselves and the fight against terrorism and the spread of democracy, we should support Israel in that. And we need to continue our battle against terrorism and strongly urge the Palestinians to stand against groups like Hamas and Hezbollah and renounce publicly and strongly terrorist activity against the nation of Israel. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So although we may not expect peace for Israel and the Middle East until the Lord returns, we should do all we can to be peacemakers in that region. Well, I hope this brief overview gives you an understanding of the conflict that's going on there in Israel and Palestine and in the Middle East and the way we can pray for these nations and stand for peace there and be peacemakers and support the kind of leaders that will be most helpful in these situations, going in in a way that is informed but also consistent with God's revelation here. So thanks for joining us here on Evidence and Answers. We look forward to seeing you again here on Evidence and Answers. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you find this broadcast to be of a great value to you, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles, additional audio, and Pat's books. Be sure to share it with your family, your friends, and of course, your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers.